Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here once again, and I'm joined by two of the best in the business. I'm just not sure what business that is. Uh, welcoming Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Hey, Paul. Hey, Simon. Hello, everyone. And a big hello to Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. Great to be here, Roachie, as always. Coming up in the show, we'll be joined by Dr. Hunter Fujak to discuss and dissect the recent Cricket Australia broadcasting deal. The number basically went sideways for the first time for any major sport in living memory. What went wrong? Uh, In the shootout, we'll look at some of the highest earning football clubs in the world. And I might also try and jam a bit of Formula One in there if I can, given a recent attempted takeover of the sport. Of course, we'll wrap it up with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy dragging back into the spotlight the misdemeanors and indiscretions of our friends in the sports world and the sports industry. Don't forget to use the hashtag RCYC, Red Card, Yellow Card on your favourite social media outlet to let us know if you see any worthwhile nominations. On social media, find us on Twitter at forandagainst underscore. On Insta, for.and.against. Let's get into the show. Well, we speculated about it a couple of shows ago. We now have confirmation. Cricket Australia has locked away their broadcast deal for another five years, commencing when the current deal ends in 2024. And have gone with the devil they know, if I can put it that way. Despite a, a pretty eye-catching offer from Channel 10 slash Paramount, Cricket Australia has, of course, stuck with the Channel 7 slash Fox combo that we've grown used to over the last few years, reputedly for a little under the 1.5 bill that Channel 10 supposedly offered, and presumably influenced by the known distribution quantity of the incumbents. John O'Riles, what was your initial reaction to the deal, if indeed you had one? Uh, for me, Richie, not massively surprised. I thought it would have been a, a big move to jump to Paramount and 10, even though it was a pretty attractive offer. So, yeah, not surprised. A little disappointed, I have to say, though. Disappointed? In what way? Yeah, just the number. I mean, we'll come to it. But, yeah, yeah I thought okay. the number could have been a bit higher. Riles, any uh, initial response to when, when the deal came through? Well, you know, there's one thing I can rely on in the world. It's Cricket Australia letting me down. An absolute debacle of a deal that is a, just – it just shows how little they believe in their product. Uh, I'm, uh, I, just, I just can't believe how they could do another deal with a partner they've been at war with since the day mm. they signed the last one. Mm. And, you know, you talk about the, the devil you know – Boy, you know, I've, I've, I've did, did, were, were there any one-day matches this year? All the stuff behind the paywall, they, they're kidding themselves. Kidding themselves. All right, well, returning to for and against to tear apart this deal and what it all means is Dr. Hunter Fujak, lecturer in sports management at Deakin University. G'day, Hunter. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hunter, the standout for me with this deal, as I said in the intro, is that there is little to no uptick, as far as I can tell, in the apparent value of this deal. I mean, you, you contrast that with the AFL deal that we talked with you about on the show only a few months ago, uh, which saw a 36% increase, I think it was, on their previous deal. Now, maybe it's an unfair comparison, but in any event, Cricket Australia might be relieved at getting this deal, but they can't be happy about it, surely. Yeah, so, I mean, it's important to note, obviously, that we've had a mixed market. Uh, the NRL also went sideways, although yeah. they would refuse to admit it publicly exactly <laughs> what that number is still. Whereas, you know, the A-Leagues and whatnot uh, achieved a bit of an uplift relative to what we expected from them. Obviously, the AFL is kind of the the North Star that we all compare, all the other sport leagues compare themselves to in terms of performance. So it's not not necessarily a complete outlier in the market, but certainly for even stakeholders like the Players Association who get a share of the revenue, 
um, they certainly probably wouldn't have been thrilled by by a lack of uplift. Hunter, um, Riles mentioned it, I think, in his initial comments, but um, talking about the fact that Channel 7 had been at war with Cricket Australia right from the start, I mean, I found this aspect of it pretty interesting. I mean, that litigation had been ongoing for a number of years. As part of the deal, from what I read, Cricket Australia are going to pay millions of bucks of their own legal costs. It seems to be a pretty <laughs> bizarre outcome, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not, not how you want to structure your relationship with essentially your single largest financial stakeholder. Um, and for many people, it was an absolute surprise going back three, four, five months that, you know, if they were forecasting where it was going to land, there's probably very few people brave enough to think that it was going to land back with seven. Um, but you guys mentioned the power of incumbency. And if you if you take a longer term lens of the sport market, you know, the Australian Open was with Channel 7 from 73 to 2018. And, you know, cricket was basically the opposite, 77 through to 12. So, you know, there is definitely a lot of power in incumbency and in the inertia of that. And so I guess when we look at the long span of history, sport leagues do tend to stick with what they know more so than jumping ship. So there was a whole lot of talk, at least from, you know, Seven and Foxtel, that the, the cricket dare not try Paramount+. Plus. We saw what happened with the A-League. No mm. one watched it. Uh, no, and, yeah, cricket would be lost if they went with Paramount+. Plus. Do you think that was a compelling argument, Hunter? Yes. <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a single word answer, because we still don't know what the subscriber base of Paramount is. Uh, Cricket Australia, I'm sure, would have been informed of it as part of negotiations. Roy Morgan guesstimated it's at 400,000. I don't think it's that high. I think if it was that high, they would have publicly declared it. Hmm. But the fact that the general public doesn't know what their subscriber base is, whereas we know that there's about 2.5 million Stan accounts, you know, there's 1.3 million KO accounts as part of 4 million overall Foxtel accounts. You undoubtedly take a huge hit in terms of your your reach, um, and yes, jumping to that pl- platform will help grow its reach, but uh, at the cost of your own immediate term revenue. And so, aside from all the technical risks and the brand risks associated with jumping to the third choice uh, television network, there's just fundamentally the, the reduced reach. And so, the value of your sponsorships, for instance, Alinta, goes down because you're you're reducing the value of those sponsorships as the audiences go down for for your matches Mm. but channel 10 is still free to it might be number three but you know they're the ones that made Mm. the bbl compelling viewing there they've shown that they can build Mm. uh, a a followership of of cricket in particular i appreciate that the uh the paramount plus part is unknown but channel 10 isn't do you think Mm. they've over oversold this well, Channel 10 is actually number four. <laughs> it's yeah, number yeah. three among commercial networks, but in terms of audience share, it's behind the ABC. That's how badly they're going. So they are a fourth-ranked television network. And yes, they've got runs on the board, but it's a very different time now. Um, I'm not sure that you can equate a relatively one-off success in cricket at a time when BBL was new and novel and yeah. faced far fewer international competitive tension than it does today. You know, the BBL has sort of macro structural challenges today that didn't exist back when 10 ran it. So I I don't think, you know, as much as 10 executives would have been trying to, you know, tell a rosy picture about their past, you know, I don't think it necessarily translates into today's performance. Yeah, I suppose it's a question of who's helping who grow their footprint. Is it cricket helping 10 slash Paramount or the other way around? So speaking of the BBL, Hunter, so... 
it, it seems, and maybe I'm not sure if a few data points is a trend yet, but it does seem to be coming out of that sort of lull it had over the last couple of years. I think the administration has realised there is too much of it played. There's a move in the next season to have those numbers reduced. I, I just get the sense more people are watching it. There's a bit more engagement. I don't know whether that's a post-COVID thing or what have you. But anyway, my point being... Did Cricket Australia go a bit early, be it inadvertently or otherwise, in going to the table? Because it does seem that perhaps they might. There's an argument to suggest that they've left some money on the table here. That if, you know, in some sort of ideal fantasy world, if they'd done this in six months hence, they might have got a bit more blood out of the stone. Mm. Well, we have, you know, if there's one thing we've learnt from the difference between AFL and NRL, the, you know, the timing timing can be everything when it comes to choosing when you negotiate your broadcast rights. Um, and, you know, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, one could say they should have held off. Um, you know, there's a lot of backdoor dealings that obviously we aren't privy to in the general public uh, that we can't say definitively how exactly it, it played out. You know, what, what we can say is that one of the great successes of the AFL was that they probably were never a realistic chance of migrating to Channel 10 and Paramount, uh, but they were much better at leveraging them to get the absolute highest possible number from that party to then create competitive tension to force Seven and Foxtel to come to the party and, and match it or better it. And that competitive tension is really what led them to get such a big increase, uh, despite you know the product itself not necessarily growing to reflect that. Whereas cricket, where, where cricket and Cricket Australia perhaps didn't perform so strongly was, you know, they had Channel 10 and Paramount interested for a period. This 1.5 billion number initial offer from 10 has been floated, you know, if they were potentially a little stronger at creative competitive tension, they might have sort of stringed along Channel 10 and Paramount for a bit longer, mm. tried to get a slightly higher number out of them in the knowledge they probably weren't going to go with them to at least try put more tension onto, onto Seven and Foxtel to raise their offer to match it. So if there's probably a criticism, which is difficult to do without you know being inside the negotiations, it's that they probably didn't create enough competitive tension uh, between, between parties. Hunter, you talked um, earlier about the power of incumbency. One of my takes on this is, in actual fact, you have to look at the power of the Murdochs and the fact that sporting organisations such as Cricket Australia were very keen to get the Murdoch empire on side. There's no doubt that having Foxtel on side and all the additional media rights that, that that gives rise to would have been a pretty powerful factor. Do you think that that was top of mind when it came to negotiations? Absolutely. You know, from from the media partners' perspective, it's become a strength of Channel 7 almost to not have this OTT subscriber platform like Paramount Plus has or, or Stan has. You know, the, the 9 and 10 models now rely on integrating your content across the two as much as you can, whereas 7 now have become the de facto partner of Foxtel. So that's, that's mm-hmm. very beneficial for 7 in negotiating sport rights. Um, but from the perspective of the sport property, as, as you allude to, you, you don't really want to anger News Corp. I mean, this is something our politicians have known for a very long time is you want to, you want to be on side with, with the Murdochs um, because their reach obviously extends far beyond just uh, television or pay TV. It extends into, into publishing as well. So, you know, if you're a sport league and you've got an equally good offer with News Corporation versus, uh, you know, Paramount or, or, or Channel 9, you know, I would personally be signing with News Corporation simply because of that peripheral exposure. You know, you're going to get across all their media assets. Um, and Channel Nine is definitely the second strongest across the Nine network. Uh, and you can see that a little bit with Super Rugby and the cross promotion that that they do. And Channel Ten is probably the weakest at that, which again is what's cementing them in third place in that respect or fourth place. Mm. 
Oh, I tell you what, I'm going to have to I have to back away. You're making it sound like Cricket Australia did okay out of this. <laughs> tell, tell me this. I, maybe I'm reaching. Maybe I'm reaching. But seven years, seven years when you've got – now, to be fair, you know, the Googles and Amazons and Microsofts of the world are cutting headcounts at the moment, but they'll be back. I, I would have thought that seven years is a long time not to go to the big streamers for a very, very big deal. Do you think that seven years is too long? Uh, again, I'll, I'll say yes. I, I think it probably is too long. Uh, you look in the IPL, you know, they, they completely separated their, their analog rights from their OTT rights. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, seven years in general now, it's hard to forecast where the world will be. Um, and ignoring, you know, ignoring the role of the dice, whether the overall macro conditions will be more positive or negative, you can't really predict that. But what we can say with certainty is that technologically, you know, those players will or, or equivalents will still be around. They will still be advancing. And so it did seem like a, a relatively long deal to commit to, especially when you're only getting a 10% uplift on your existing figure. You know, it's one thing if you're the AFL and you're getting 36% uplift on that number, and that number is 250 million more per annum than NRL's getting. But to, to only achieve an uplift of 10%, and commit yourself to that. I mean, at the moment, with inflation at eight percent, it's it's actually <laughs> if you actually factor in inflation, it's not really an increase at all. Um, and I know there's some fa- inflation I think factored into those rights, but certainly given it's not a bonanza, it's surprising that it's it's such a long deal. Hunter, look, final question. Let's just change tack slightly. Given we were just talking about the the, the fangs of the world, there's a bit of a is it a rumor? I think is it more substantial than a rumor that Apple is uh, very interested in the English Premier League rights. Now, uh, Apple have an exclusive deal with Major League Soccer. So are we finally starting to see the prizing open of the purse strings in these uh, companies that, that, you know, that we've assumed will, will, will wade into the, the sports broadcasting or narrowcasting space at some stage? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know with certainty. But, you know, even if we look at, yes, there's a lot of, been a lot of job cuts among these fan companies. And that's, you know, in a large part driven, I guess, by, by stock goals more so than operating positions. I mean, Google's sitting on a $100 billion <laughs> cash war chest still, right? You know, Apple has billions in cash ready to uh, be implemented however they so see fit. So, you know, yes, yes, you know, there are negative economic headwinds at the moment, but a lot of these companies are sitting on big cash surpluses that they could choose to invest in sport as they want. You know, it's, it's a very dynamic environment. You know, for a long time, we would have thought maybe Netflix would be somehow involved in sport, they haven't gone down that path. Uh, so, you know, there's certainly some predictions I would have made a few years ago that haven't come to fruition. Hmm. But certainly, if the MLS deal is anything to go by, I think it's fair to say that there's going to be some more players move into this market, and especially big ones who have the scale to maybe look at, looking at having those kind of global rights. Which perhaps feeds into your comment about seven years perhaps being just a little bit too long, because who knows where hmm. we'll be in two or three years, and you've essentially said that yourself, Hunter. Uh, Hunter, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us once again on For and Against. Thanks for having me. Dr. Hunter Fujak there, lecturer in sports management at Deakin University, joining us to rip apart the Cricket Australia broadcast deal. Well, uh, here we are in the shootout, and they say that money makes the world go around, and no more so than in the world of football. You might recall last show, we talked to some of the individuals earning plenty of money from sport, with Messi and Ronaldo coming in at one and three, respectively, in the list of sports earners in 2022, and indeed, uh, Kylian Mbappe leading the under-25 brigade. 
Well, now it's time to go to club level and gawk at uh, all the zeros sloshing around there. Now, a report by Deloitte, uh, the Deloitte Football Money League of 2023. Wouldn't that be a good gig, Rochi, just to interpose there? Sure. You know, if you're a little accountant, junior, junior burger at Deloitte, and you get to work on that gig, that would actually be a fun one to work on. I'm thinking I'd be a partner. Well, the partner, what yeah. What a in that is. That'd be a great gig. We actually tweeted oh, yeah, the the, uh, the release of that uh, document, and I think we might have said for the hardcore. And a previous guest, Tim mm. Harcourt, who is an economist, was the only person who liked that tweet. Oh, there so you I go. Those that, economists. Uh, had you enjoyed that. Now, listen, so Deloitte has analysed football clubs by revenue, and uh, well, guess who came out on top? Who's the, And remember, this is revenue. This is not club valuation. If you haven't already looked at the uh, the report, which I'm sure you've done in great detail, John, I'm a good researcher. Would you be che- would this be cheating if I asked you off the cuff who the top revenue earning? I'd say club was, uh, is? it's got to be a Premier League club, so I'd probably go Liverpool. Uh, Steve-O? Well, I have, you, I have, got I dec- have read it. You declare I if you know. I have read it, but, okay. but I, I, I do think that it's a remarkable decision, a remarkable result, because it's not Real Madrid, it's not Liverpool, it's mm. not Man United, it's not you know, PSG or Bayern Munich or Barcelona or Chelsea. They're all the other ones in the top ten, by the way. Man City it yeah. is. Man City yeah. it is. Man City. And this is, this Why were you surprised by that? that well, it, it wouldn't have been anywhere near it a decade or two mm. ago. And they've almost sort of bought their way. Well, they have. They've bought their way to the, the top and they've stayed there. So from a business perspective, they've done a just an, an amazing job with the club. Mm. So there's two teams from the City Group, I think they call themselves, Man City in, at, at the top there, as we said, and uh, PSG in fifth place. Now, look, there's actually not a lot of difference between these, got to say. So... Revenue in uh, US dollars for Man City at the top was nudging 800 mil US. And as I say, PSG in fifth was a tick over 700 mil. So there's not actually a massive difference. Geez, they're big businesses, aren't they? They are, they are. Although I did see something on, on Twitter not that long ago, uh, post post my research, uh, that suggested that comparison to the US sports, they're still like the, the best of the Premier League are sort of there thereabouts. But, mm. um, Compared to an NFL team or NBA. Yeah, and some basketball teams. But that said, just confining ourselves to, to soccer slash football once again, the Premier League is the place to be because obviously Man City tops and there's three of the top five in there, but 11 of the top 20 are from the, the EPL. And is that fan-driven, you know, post-COVID, everyone getting back to the stadium or is it uh, merchandise and the like or must yeah, be a combination of the two? A little bit. There's definitely fans returning. The um, uh, There's there's a number there I, I can't immediately think of, but, yeah, it's a big uptick in, in fan numbers. But it's a lot to do with the, the TV broadcast deal, the, the money that the EPL brings in from there. Not just their domestic thing, their domestic rights, sorry, but also the international rights. And uh, the gent who recently left the EPL, who's Richard Cuddlemore, that's not his name, it's something like that. I mean, he was responsible for, for really ramping up the international uh, rights big time. I think they actually make more of the international rights these days than the, the domestic. So that's definitely a contributing factor. But yeah, 11 of the top 20 in the uh, in the EPL. Look, I think just, just one little thing. So Man City were bought, oh God, how long ago? 10, 15 years ago, Sheikh yeah. Mansour from Abu Dhabi, right? Yep. My recollection is that he also had people trying to sell him Everton at the time. If if he bought Everton, would they be the richest club <laughs> in yeah. sport right now? Yeah, probably. Instead of being relegated, this which they will be this season. In a fair bit of trouble. Yeah, surely. Because, I mean, that's the point you made, Steve. Man City, Man City were you know, known in particular for many, many, many a year. And a big bag of money came on and came in and changed that. 
there's there's no getting around it. So I think the answer to your question is yes, Everton would be uh, would be that would be the one up the top of the list. It's a bit like that joke. Um, uh, what's it, the contemporary version? I'll tell the the version I heard. Hillary Clinton was out driving with Bill, and um, they drove past a petrol station. And Hillary, well, they stopped at a petrol station, gas station. And uh, Hillary started laughing. Bill said, what's all that about? And he, she said, oh, when I was 16, I went out with that bloke. And Bill said, well, I fancy that. If you'd uh, gone out with him still, you'd, you'd now be the wife of garage attendant. And she went, <laughs> no, no, he'd be the president of the United States. <laughs> so, yeah, that made that uh, the, the parallel I'm trying to draw there is the uh, money would have done for Everton what it ended up doing for Man City. I've heard that in relation to Winston Churchill as well, Mrs. Ah, Churchill. Oh, there you go. I'm sure there's mm. a few versions of it. However, moving away from the comedy routines of for and against... And uh, looking quickly at Formula One, again, as part of the shootout here on For and Against. So not sure if you guys saw this, but what are your thoughts on a country owning a sport? Now, not being associated with a sport, you know, like baseball might be associated with the US and cricket with England, etc., but actually owning it, or more specifically the commercial rights to it, because that's what we're talking about when we talk about ownership of a main, sport. Main sponsor. Yeah, well, it's more than sponsorship, but... Um, what? Well, let's just be clear. Simon has form here. He has no problem whatsoever with Saudi Arabia owning golf. Yes, exactly. It's that. Whoa, it's that, I'm that's, not sure about that's, that. That's anyway, I'll, I'll let that go through to the camera. So now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I'm not particularly comfortable with any entity owning, quote unquote, a sport because it's an intrinsically abstract thing that we kind of all we all share and own and custodians of and lots of stuff. But a recently reported attempt by Saudi Arabia, or at least through their sovereign wealth fund, to purchase the commercial rights to Formula One from Liberty Media is well, so very much next level. There's a um, fair bit of truth to that. Is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's everyone understands that, that to be the case. So right. just backtrack, 2017, Liberty Media bought the commercial rights, uh, well, off a sort of a conglomerate, but effectively like Bernie Eccleston, who's the guy that developed Formula and One. Li- Liberty is what, a big USPE? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they'd, they'd be – no, they're listed. Right. Liberty's listed, I'm pretty sure. And they have interest in media. I think they might own Sirius XM or something like that, or don't quote me on that, but they have interest in media and also in other sports, yep. um, sports outfits, the Atlanta Braves maybe. Anyway, so Liberty bought that in 2017 for 4.4 bill, and current valuation has it at about 15, so not a bad investment. And apparently, the Saudis said, "Here's 20 bill," and Liberty Media said, "None of this has got a long way to go. We're okay. Thanks very mm. much." So it didn't it didn't actually go very far. So, but my my so I think the point I'm sort of driving at is it's kind of amazing that a country and and I'm going to say concerning that a country that has its own specific genders and ideas mm. and. You know, I just, I'm not, not happy about this. But not that you can stop it. But I just think it's an interesting development. A country via its sovereign wealth fund looking to ca- take control of a global, of a large global sport. I'm surprised they stopped at 20. Well, I was about to say, Paul, you've got to be pleased. 20 bill wasn't enough for your beloved F1. So mm. that's, that's a good thing for you. Mm. We shall see. We shall see. And finally on the shootout, look, um, I'll throw to you guys in a tick. I just uh, the, the whole WhatsApp thing. I mean, let's. Ah. I don't know about you, but I get a bit of FOMO about WhatsApp chats that I know that my friends are on that I'm not on. Ah. What are people talking about? Are they talking about me? Why am I being excluded? Ralph and I have one about you, Richie. We well, sort of we talk uh, talk about the I, intros, <laughs> just a bit of feedback, <laughs> preparation. Boy. <laughs> But, I'm texting. I'm texting Simon right yeah. now. Funnily enough, my I just goodness. I literally felt my phone buzz in my pocket as you said that. Right, <laughs> you maybe got a wrong, it's the wrong number. one. Yeah. Oops. Um, Oops. So, um, what if, what if you discovered a teammate was on a chat with the 
PM. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one, Richie. And you wouldn't be aware, of course, not having your um, you know, subscription to Amazon or any of these streaming services. Correct. But it's this has arisen over the test season two. Yes. And I've now watched it. Um, I have to say it took a little while. Raz, I'm not sure if you've seen it as yet. It took a little while to get going. But once it did get going, it was equally as fascinating as Series 1, I thought. Mm. Really interesting to look into the dynamics of how that player power revolution uh, created oh. the end of JL's tenure. Gotcha. Um, so you do get a really interesting insight into that and how that all takes place. But yeah, look, one of the um, amusing anecdotes that came out of it was when Cummins took over the captaincy. So JL was still obviously coach at this mm. point. This was after the, the Payne saga. And so Paddy Cummins has taken over. And the camera's on him in the back of a car on the way to one of the tests. And he said, oh, yeah, one of the funny things is I've just been invited to this WhatsApp chat. And it's called Legends. So he received an invitation to join it. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. What's this? There are only three people on the chat. It's Paddy Cummins, JL, the coach, and Scott Morrison. (laughs) And it turns out the PM. So ScoMo. Apparently it was quite an active chat. Um, ScoMo would send regular words of encouragement (laughs) to Paddy and to JL. Only encouragement, not advice or direction? Uh, No doubt. I mean, I'm surprised that ScoMo himself didn't appoint himself to a leadership position within Cricket Australia. He probably did and no one knew about it. Um, um, But, yeah, the, the other amusing thing which was noted was that Paddy said that he already had a WhatsApp chat called Legends. And that was the bowling cohort, so Hazelwood, <laughs> Stark and Goat. And they apparently shared some somewhat inappropriate content. And so he had to be very careful when he was uploading various messages to the Legends chat to make sure it was the right one. Look, I'm sure ScoMo would have understood if he accidentally got a you know dodgy photo. He would have loved it. Words to it. Yeah. <laughs> he never said dodgy content. He said, I sometimes share stats or a meme or a photo. Uh, yes, but I'd better not send it the wrong thing to the PM. So the, the well, three most important people in the country of, on, the same, yeah. on the same WhatsApp group. Wow. Isn't it I nice? The big, the big question here, though, is who named the chat? Who <laughs> yes. named the chat? I'm not surprised past bowlers yeah. named their chat the legend. Yeah. Well, but, but Cummins clearly didn't name the PM I'm pre- chat. I'm pretty sure it was Legends. the PM. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got that yeah. sort of smell about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Isn't it sort of encouraging or, or, or um, affirming to know that such important people just have WhatsApp well, group chats reckon, like we do? Do you reckon Albo's done the same? Albo would probably, probably be more – he'd be more a Bunnies man, though, wouldn't he? He'd have a couple of rugby league players on there. Maybe. I don't know. But he'd be knows? doing the same kind of thing. Good luck That's to the him. question. Yeah, there you go. All righty, let's do red card, yellow card. Yes, red card, yellow card, where we love poking fun at uh, the indiscretions of sporting types uh, off the field of play, stuff they'd rather we all forgot about, but it's our job here in this segment to bring it back to the forefront of our minds and have a bit of a chuckle, hopefully. Steve-O, what is your red card, yellow card nomination for this show, please? I'm going to go back to something that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and you might not know the guy involved. It's a guy named Shannon Sharp. Never heard of him. Pro Bowl, NFL legend. He's currently on, um, I want to say ESP. No, Fox Sports. He's on Fox Sports. I'll, I'll tell you why I know that in a second. Anyway, he's been minding his own business at a Memphis Grizzlies, Los Angeles Lakers basketball game. So he's a football player, former football player, retired football player, now commentator on TV. And he's been off to watch the Lakers play the Grizzlies. Got and he's found himself heckling one of the uh, Grizzlies players, you know, a Dylan Brooks, and suggesting he's he's not up to marking LeBron James. I mean, who is? But he um, he's texting. He's, he's not texting. That's what 
Simon and I do about you, as we covered earlier. Um, now, he, he's letting Dylan know that he's not up to the challenge. Anyway, Dylan decides that he'll, you know, speak back to him a little bit. And they have a little bit of a verbal sparring on and off during the game. Anyway, it escalates to the point at halftime where the Grizzlies charge at Shannon Sharp. <laughs> and it, they have to be, you know, sort of told everyone back away, back away, back away. But that's not it. So you might not know, Paul, but the, the star of the Memphis Grizzlies is a guy named Ja Morant. Okay. His, his dad is uh, T Morant. And Breaker. T jumps into the fray. And T and Sharp have to oh, be separated. It's brilliant. Um, it it's like Stephen Ovick and Clark. And, and just, just, just to hammer it home now, now, since then, the reason why I know Shannon Sharp is on Fox Sports is mm. because he took about six minutes to apologise for it. So it was a huge success for his publicity and his show, I reckon. Mm. But at the time, he's going on to the reporter's presence saying they didn't want this smoke. They do all the talking and jockeying and iron about jockeying um, and basically saying they didn't want any of me. I was too much for the whole freaking team. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, where's, where'd your card lie here, Steve? Oh, I'm, plenty of potential. I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm going red. I'm going red. He literally had to delay a basketball game because... It's pretty impressive. The, it's <laughs> public, it's public nuisance. Day. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's and all on the big screen, Ross. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. big screen, TV, the whole thing. Great. Wow. Yeah, I go red. Good work. Fair enough. What about yourself, John? What do you got for us? Yeah, Richie, uh, to trawl the red card barrel, scrape the red card, yellow mm. card barrel mm. this week. But I've come up with a golfing one, um, funnily enough. Um, it's US golf bad boy Patrick Reed. You know Patrick Reed. He's been nominated a couple of times before. He's probably the most disliked player on the formerly on the PGA uh, Tour, now a live golfer. Uh-huh. Uh, he's previously so he's hated even more if you switched over to live. Pretty live. much, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So there's been previously some allegations that he's cheated on the golf course, so taken some unfair yeah. lies. He's had some very public stouches with his caddy. He's a grumpy guy uh, and not very likable. Seppo? He's a Seppo, right. yeah, he's an American. Um, so this time he was on the practice putting green. So off the field okay, slightly okay, yep. for an upcoming tournament uh, or recent tournament at the Emirates Golf Club in Dubai. So the Dubai tournaments are part of the DP World Tour. You'd be all across this, Rochi, of course. It's, vaguely it's, not, to me. it's not the American Tour, but it's the former European mm. Tour, which is now called the DP Tour. Now, he's allowed to play in that tour even though he's a live golfer because he's filed an injunction to allow him to play and that injunction hearing hasn't yet been heard. So... Mm-hmm. Another reason why they hate him because he's, you know, taking the legal route rather than just accepting his punishment. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was on the practice putting green. He saw Rory McIlroy. Now, McIlroy has, of course, been a huge opponent of Live Golf. He's all about the PGA. Mm. Patrick apparently saw Rory and decided to go up and try and have a chat with him and said, G'day, Rory, how are you going? And Extend Rory, the olive branch kind of thing. I guess so. Mm. Trying to be a good bloke. And uh, Rory just barred him, ignored him, completely blanked him. Pat tried again, got no reaction, at which point, apparently, and this is pretty serious, he pulled out a golf tee and he flicked it in Rory's direction. No. Yeah. So, you know, that was apparently seen by a number of players, handbags at 10 paces, and it created a big stink. Did you hear that, Ronald? Flicked. Assault. He flicked a golf <laughs> tee in Rory McIlroy's direction. One of those little wooden plasticky things. Pretty much, yeah. Right. Didn't even hit him. 10 grams kind of stuff. Yeah. And it missed him. Missed him, yeah. So I'm, that's, I'm, it's that's a barely a yellow. That's but, a good one. I like yeah. it. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Jeez, we've got some convoluted red card, yellow card nominations. Uh, we do, this yeah. Show. I think mine's a little bit briefer than that. Now, listen, I know you think I'm a bit of a pedant uh, when it comes well, to we, certain we know, uses Richie. of Australian English and, and or actual English. But it's important stuff, Jono. And look, there's no nit too small to pick in my view. Today's focus of my losing battle with the slow, inexorable tide of change in language is the Australian Baseball League. Yes, the ABL. Now, being an intensely American sport planted in Australia leaves all sorts of potential you know, linguistic disasters. But we can't blame the Yanks on this one, uh, nor indeed their cultural pull. No, no, this is an abomination of our own making team. In a tweet a few weeks ago now, the ABL wrote thus when talking about their post-season shudder, post-season arrangements. They talked about the Bandits have already locked in the Northeast Division Championship. At present, they will verse either Adelaide, Perth or Melbourne in semi-final one. Not content with just that little slip-up. They then went on in the second two paragraphs later. Canberra and Auckland are in the chase to verse the Southwest Division <laughs> champions. This is an outrageous assault on the English language, and I will not stand for it. Uh, There's no Richie. such word as verse as a verb. The uh, sub-editor of that publication should be sacked, is what you're saying. It's just a tweet. Probably some 24-year-old doing their social media channels for not much. Maybe a uni student. To verse or to, not to verse. Yeah. That is the question. Look, I Oh, my goodness. Do you still wear your yeah, long socks with your shorts? Do you don't want, don't want to go to short socks? She's your... Uh, He's becoming he's a grumpy old man, Riles, isn't he? home with you at all times, Paul? I'm, I'm not that really. Very grump, grumpy old man. I'm not that old, Jono. Yeah, I know. I might be a touch older than you, but not that old. <laughs> No, it's a straight red, the ABL, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you just can't, can't treat the English language like that. I'm, I'm done. Done. Yeah, we're all done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the last word. With that, with the conclusion of Red Card, Yellow Card, that brings us to the conclusion of For and Against for another exciting and interesting show. Thanks, Jono. Thanks for being part of it, as always. Thanks, Rachel. It's nice to verse you once more. Shut up. And good, <laughs> goodbye, Stephen Riley. See you much later. See you, Paul. Simon, I'll, uh, I'll WhatsApp you about this. Yeah, later. I've already <laughs> sent you one. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks for joining us on For and Against. We'll do it all again in a fortnight's time. Until then, it's bye for now.